Good morning. Good to see you this morning. Grab your Bible or something to read God's Word from. We're in Matthew chapter 13. And uh, while you're turning there, just give you a little bit of uh, background. Great chapter, by the way. Seven parables in this chapter. Seven. And, uh, and then a, a kind of a lengthy explanation of why Jesus uses so many parables. And uh, while you, I've given you just a little bit of time, I want you to draw your attention to verse 24 of chapter 13. That's where we're going to start. But I want you to see that, that opening phrase of verse 24 that Jesus uses. Jesus presented another parable to them saying, The kingdom of heaven may be compared. That's the essence of a parable. Right, a parable is a comparison, paraboleo, to throw alongside of, to compare. And so here's what Jesus is doing. If you want to understand a parable, he's talking about, by the way, the seven parables that are in Matthew uh, 13 are, all have to do with the kingdom of God, kingdom of heaven. A very complicated, deep, hard to wrap your mind around subject, right? And what Jesus is going to do is he's going to do his very best to clearly communicate a simple message about a complicated topic. I need you to get that. That what Jesus is talking about, the truth of God's word is so important. Jesus wants to make sure it's communicated as simply as possible. So he tells a story tells a story. And we've learned a lot about these stories. We've learned that a parable is not an allegory, that not everything in a parable has a meaning, and and that uh, a parable has one truth, but it doesn't encompass all truth, that it falls under the umbrella of all the teaching uh, of God's Word, that a parable is meant to reveal truth to some and hide it from others. That's why so often in Scripture, the disciples come to Jesus and say, hey, privately, could you explain what this means to us? They're going to do that in the parable that we're going to look at today. So I want you to grab your Bibles, and I want you to read. We're going to read the first half of this passage, do a little explanation, and then come back and look at Jesus' explanation. Verse 24. Jesus presented another parable to them, saying, The kingdom of heaven may be compared to a man who sowed, I'm going to have you highlight a couple things, the word good. It's used more than one time in this passage. We're going to come back to it. He sowed good seed in his field. But while his men were sleeping, his enemy came and sowed tares among the wheat and went away. But when the wheat sprouted and bore grain, then the tares became evident also. And the slaves of the land overcame and said to him, Sir, did you not sow good seed in your field? There's that word again, good seed. In your field, how then does it have tares? And he said to them, An enemy's done this. The slave said to him, Do you want us then to go and gather them up? But he said, no, for while you're gathering up the tares, you may also uproot the wheat with them. Allow both to grow together until the harvest. And in the time of harvest, I will say to the reapers, first gathering up the tares, bind them in bundles and uh, to burn them. But gather up the wheat into my barn. So Jesus is telling a story. A really familiar story to the people of his day. It's the story of a farmer, as is often Jesus' stories. Uh, and, uh, the guy went out in his field to sow. The Bible says very specifically twice he sowed good seed in his field because what other kind of seed would a farmer sow? Right? I mean, think about it. His future depends on it. Whether his family survives depends on what he sows in that field. His hope is in what comes up out of that field, right? Everything's dependent on that crop being successful. So he sows Good seed. And after a hard day of work, exhausted by the hot sun, he and his servants go home and go to sleep. 
While they're sleeping, Jesus says that the enemy comes. And in the same field, sows a seed called tares. Now, nobody knows what a tare is in our world, right? Uh, unless you're a wheat farmer. Uh, the, the Greek word is the word zazano. And it really describes what we would call in our world a darnel. Now, here's what you need to know about a darnel. A darnel looks exactly like a wheat plant. Exactly like it. Indistinguishable from it until, and if you notice it says it over and over again in the parable, until the fruit is ripened. You cannot tell the difference until the fruit is ripened. When the fruit is ripened, wheat turns gold, darnels turn black. And so, man, the servants, they, 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 they're all in a panic, right? They're in a panic about, look at this. Well, look what has happened. This is tragic. What do you want us to do? How did this happen? You sowed good seed. Jesus says, he's not surprised. I've got an enemy. I got an enemy that wants to keep what we're doing from prospering. So while we were sleeping, he sowed seed in our field. Do you want us to go pull the tares out? Now listen to what I'm going to tell you. This, the, the, the application of this parable is huge. Jesus said, absolutely not. Because in their growing, they've become so intertwined that to remove one will damage the other. We never talk about that in light of this parable. Here's what he's saying to his servants. You're not equipped to do that job. Only I am. You're trying to do what I never called you to do. And that is separate what is real from what is unreal. I called you to sow seed. That's your job. Now, privately, the disciples, when they're alone, they come to Jesus and they go, listen, man, we got all confused. Would you explain this to us? I want you to skip down to verse 36, and we're going to read again. Then he left the crowds and went into the house, and his disciples came to him and said, explain the, us, to us the parable of the tares in the field. And he said, the one who sows the good seed is the son of man. And the field is the world. As for the good seed, these are the sons of the kingdom, and the tares are the sons of the evil one. The enemy who sold them is the devil. And the harvest is the end of the age, and the reapers are angels. So just as the tares are gathered up and burned with fire, so shall it be at the end of the age. The Son of Man will send forth his angels. They will gather out of his kingdom all stumbling blocks and those who commit lawlessness. And will throw them into the furnace of fire. In that place there will be weeping and gnashing, of teeth, then the righteous will shine forth as the sun in the kingdom of their father. He who has ears to hear, let him hear. Would you pray with me? Father, we ask you uh, to speak, speak here, speak online to our online family. Father, I, I pray that uh, you would help us to see truth in a way we've never seen it, apply it to our lives personally. Um, Father, to begin to understand that there is a war raging in this world. Uh, and Father, the, the stakes are eternal. We pray it in the name of Jesus. Amen. So the beginning of this parable really revolves around a question. And this is the question. It's the question of the servants to the master. What do you want us to do? What do you want us to do? This is a tragic situation. What do you want us to do? You want us to uproot this stuff? You want us to do anything? What does he want us to do? And that's a question we have struggled with. Uh, and a question, especially in Christian circles, we often get confused about. What is my job as a follower of Jesus? 
And it starts with a question of responsibility. What is my responsibility, Jesus? And we ask that about a lot of things in life, spiritually. And the problem that we face is we always try to take God's job and not do our job. You ever notice that? Go all the way back to the garden. The essence of sin was that Adam and Eve wanted to be like God. They wanted to be God. They wanted what didn't belong to them. They didn't understand their responsibility. We do the same thing. We want to make our own decisions. We want to run our own lives, chart our own paths. We want to know the answers to all the questions in life. Look up here at me. There's some stuff in this you don't want to miss. We want to know the answer to all of life's questions, and usually we do it under the name theology, right? Because we just can't stand not to know. Now, I want you to stop. If you're out there in the world, and you're looking at the church, and we can't stand just not to know, and yet we tell people that we live by faith, not by sight, but we can't stand not to know. And really, look at this. A lot of what we do in the name of theology, really should be done in the name of pride. I just want to know. I just want to be God. I cannot rest in what I do not understand. So why is it so very, very hard for you and I to let God be God? Why is it so hard? And, and a couple of truths that fall out of the bigger picture of this parable before we break down um, verse 36 and following. There are many things that are clear to God that are cloudy to us. Um, when the servants discovered the tares in the wheat, they went into panic mode. The, the master, he was not in panic mode. He knew exactly what had happened. He knew his enemy had sowed bad seed among the good seed. I have said it before, I'll say it again because maybe somebody here today needs to hear it. God sees what you cannot see and he knows what you do not know. So you look at these circumstances and here's, what I, here's why I had you highlight the word good twice. Twice these servants could not comprehend that a good master, look at me, I need you guys to engage with me today. You're kind of, was the master good? Come on, was he good? Did he sow good seed? How did a bad thing happen? And now we understand their struggle. Because you may be in the same place. Everything you know about God may be screaming at you. I know I have a good God and he does good things. Then why are these bad things unfolding in my life? What they are saying to the master is how did this happen? You're good. You do good. How did bad happen? Here's what I would tell you today. Not an easy answer to that, but when things are cloudy to you, they're clear to God. Hang on to that. We're not God. We cannot see everything. We do not know everything. And when things are cloudy to us, they're clear to God. And I would tell you this. How does your good God who does good things and bad things happen to us? Well, we still have an enemy. He is still out there. And he is still at work. Number two, some things are better left off to God, are better left to God. Uh, because the servants were good servants, they wanted to, to do what they could for their master. They wanted to solve the problem for their master. So they offered to go and do what he never equipped them nor called them to do. We're going to go remove the tares. 
We're going to go out in the field. We're going to do this. And the master, because he could see what they could not see and he knew what they did not know, said, no, I only called you to sow seed. If you start doing this, you are going to destroy what I value. You ever thought about that? What an incredible, incredible Statement, when you and I start trying to root out what is not real, we set ourselves up, up as judges over the lives of other people trying to determine their eternal destiny. You, you ever met a member of God's Gestapo? You ever met one of them? Here's what a member of God's Gestapo does. They try to tell you who's really going to get into heaven, who's really not going to get into heaven. And some of it's crazy, right? I meet these people regularly. <laughs> regularly. Call names. <laughs> tell, tell us their name. Right? I mean, and, they, and some of these things are crazy and some of these things are a little complicated. But, but think back in your life of all the things people told you that will keep you from getting to heaven. You've got a tattoo. You're not going to heaven. Wednesday night, somebody shot it. I ain't going to make it. <laughs> <laughs> but these are the crazy things, right? Long hair. Wear makeup, jewelry, you wear pants, not dresses. Some of that's crazy. You hang with me. That's God's Gestapo. But then it gets a little bit more complicated. You don't read the Bible as much as I do. You don't have the right spiritual gifts. You, 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 your baptism wasn't like my baptism you don't believe the same thing I believe about this part of Scripture. You're not going to make it to heaven. Listen, here's what Jesus says, and I'm going to challenge you. You find the people who do that and tell me what good comes from it. Because here's what Jesus said, not your job. Not your job. And when you do it, you're hurting kingdom work. You're hurting kingdom work. Let God be God. Trust him. Let God be God. So we're back to the original question. What does God want from us? Well, we're seed sowers. We're seed sowers. And there are two groups in this parable that have, where seed is sown. First one is our relationship to lost people in the church. So what we learned about this parable is that there are people in the pew who don't know Jesus. Right? And the first thing, the most obvious thing Jesus is telling us is lost people in the church will look just like saved people in the church. Exactly like it, undistinguishable from it. I need you to see this. This is a fabulously crafted parable to reveal truth about the kingdom of God. The tare and the wheat will look exactly alike until the end. Did you notice at the end? It is the end. Not your end. The end. You cannot tell them apart until the time of harvest and then it becomes the master's responsibility. To separate the wheat from the tares. What is real from what is unreal. So first truths. Two truths. Here's the first one. You are free from the job of policing the lives of other people. Yeah. You're free and everybody you're around is now free also. Right? Um, there's a huge difference between walking with someone, evaluating life for the purpose of growth. That's called discipleship. We do it regularly here. I want some people in my life like that. I want some people who see my blind spots. I want some people who love me enough to sit down with me and go, you were harsh, you were wrong, you sinned. There's a huge difference in that and what typically happens in the church is people willing to evaluate but not willing to invest. 
I have strong opinions about the life you live, but I am unwilling to invest in the life you live. You need to keep your mouth shut. You need to be quiet. You haven't earned the right to have an opinion to evaluate unless you're willing to invest in the life of that person. So you just need to be quiet. Right? And, 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 and be free. Be free from the responsibility of policing the lives of others. She said, well, uh, Pastor, I, I may have been, been part of God's Gestapo. What do I do now with all that energy and all that time? Well, what do I do with my life? How about you really lead somebody to Jesus? How about you start walking with somebody who already knows Jesus? How about you do what you were called to do? You're seed sowers. You're seed sowers. Second truth is a warning. There are going to be people who sit in a church pew who served in churches and they were never really followers of Jesus. Now I want you to look right at me. For years and years and years, this passage has been used to scare good God-fearing people into not knowing whether they had a relationship with Jesus or not. All right, we slipped into that role. Here's what I'm telling you. It is your job to evaluate your life. I am looking at you right now and I am telling you, you better be really sure of where you are with Jesus. I don't have to yell that at you. I don't have to scream that at you. I have a God and I'm willing to let him be God. He convicts. He moves. You be sure. Lost people in the church are strategically placed there by Satan. Jesus is really clear about this. Really clear about it. It's eye-opening. So what do tares do? Let's go back to the farmer. You plant these seeds side by side, the, the tares are consuming the nutrients and what could be used to produce a harvest, they're consuming it, they're wasting it. What is Satan trying to do? Look at me, make sure you get it. He's trying to keep God's church from prospering. He's trying to keep the kingdom of heaven from growing. He does not want this world to be reached. So what does he do? He creates chaos in the church. You ever meet that? You've been in church. Don't, first of all, don't raise your hand. <laughs> You've been in a church, and a church can't do what it's supposed to do because one family or one guy there, everybody's afraid of them. Some, there you go. I got one Amen. Well, what will they think or what will they say? Oh, it'd be a mess. It'll be a, it'll be a mess. You ever wonder why they're there? Now you know. And if it's you, you better listen. You better listen. Planted by Satan himself to keep the church from doing what God called the church to do. Unreal truth. Unreal truth. I missed this, me this point in the message uh, when I preached it earlier. Because we are not to judge does not mean there's not a judgment. Uh, I need you to see that uh, when we try to do God's job, we make a mess. So our brains scream out at us, who's going to set things right if I don't set things right? Right? God is. Did you miss that last part of that? collect them, bind them into bundles where they will be thrown into a fire where there is weeping and gnashing of teeth. God will take care of it. 
God will take care of it. The heart of God is to win people over, not wipe people out. The teaching of a, this parable never stands alone. It stands against the backdrop of the rest of God's word. What does the rest of God's word teach us? That the heart of God is not about wiping people out. The heart of God is about winning people over. I need you to hear me. 2 Peter 3.9 tells us that God delays the end of time so that more people may come to the knowledge of faith. That his desire is that no one perish. 1 Timothy 2.4 says it's God's desire that all men be saved and come to a knowledge of the truth. Even this message is a part of that plan. The second group that we've been called to sow seed in is in our relationship with lost people in this world. This is another area where we get confused about what our responsibility is, what we're called to be. Are we called to be separate from the world? Uh, and yet, when this world, how does that work? So here, here, here it is in the teaching of Scripture. Number one, our calling is to infiltrate, not isolate. Our calling is to infiltrate, not isolate. Matthew 5, verses 13 through 16, the salt and the light, the lamp. Matthew preached a couple of weeks ago on this. A, a really good sermon of what that should look like, what we should look like as salt and light in this world. And I, I'll be honest, I like salt on everything. I really like salt. And, and Matthew taught about, well, wait a minute. If that salt loses its ability to influence, it's worthless. I'm going to tell you what else makes it worthless. Look at me. If it sits on the shelf in the cabinet, it's worthless. If it never interacts with anything in this world, it is worthless. We are not called to isolate. We are called to infiltrate this world. It's the only way we win this world. Jesus said, you don't light a lamp and put it under a box. You put it on a pedestal so everyone can see it. And it gives the light to the most. So here's what Jesus is saying. If your view of Christianity is that you will live a life untouched by this world, then you will touch no one in this world. This, is, this next one is, this is, next one is a really good point. We cannot render a judgment because um, the story is not over. If you are a parent of adult children, I want you to listen to this one. If you love somebody dearly that is not following Jesus, I need you to listen to this one. Um, all of this parable has to do with judgment and, and, uh, and we look at, at the worst people and we make statements about seeing no hope for them. I ain't never going to heaven. Never going to make. By the way, maybe it's a group of people. Maybe you've taken a group of people and you've looked at them and said, God's going to get them all. You with me? That God didn't put you in that place. Because of our limited capacity, we only see a moment of life. You got a kid, grown kid that's not following Jesus. And see, the tendency is to be harsh with them and hard with them. It's God's story. And their story's not over. You, you can't see what's going to happen five years, ten years now. You, look at me. Done this a long time. You can't see what's going to happen when you die. You're gone. God's still here. God's still working. So let me see if I can make this really clear to you. Most theologians will tell you the Apostle Paul came to know Jesus about the age of 30. Suppose you met him when he's 25. 
and he's dragging Christians out of their home and he's killing them and he's torturing them. He's just beating the living daylights out of them. He is the most horrible person you know of at living in your day, in your time at that moment. And you say this, in no way that boy's going to heaven. Let him burn, God, for what he's done. Not your job. You didn't see the rest of the story. You saw a thin slice of today, and that's all you can see. The story isn't over. I don't know that I've ever done the same point in a sermon twice. I'm doing it in this one twice with a little addendum. The heart of God is to win over, not wipe out. What's your heart? What's your heart? Who deep inside of you do you really hope God wipes out? The liberals. <laughs> hope he gets them, right? Well, you're never going to win them. I need you to let that sink in. You're never going to win them if that's where your heart is. Because it's as obvious as all get out. Homosexual community. You'll never win them if that's your attitude. Because it's not the attitude of God. He doesn't want to wipe them out. He wants to win them over. And in studying for this, and I need you to listen, because I'm not, I'm not screaming this at you. I need you, I need you to listen. There, there's a verse, a single verse of Scripture that is so, so good for where we are. 2 Timothy chapter 2, verses 24, 25, 26. I'm going to read the first half. We're going to talk about it, and then we're going to close with the second half. The Lord's bondservant, that's you and me if we follow Jesus, must not be quarrelsome. Let's just stop there. <laughs> uh, some of us need to be at the altar now. Because um, quarrelsome is who we are. Can you have a conversation without having to be right? The Lord's bond servant is not that way. Kind to all. Able to teach patient when wronged. With gentleness, with gentleness correcting those who are in opposition. In all my years, I, I'll be 63 this year. I've never heard an evangelism program based on that verse. I've never had anybody stand up and go, listen, you'll win this world with humility, gentleness, kindness. You'll listen before you shout. You say, well, that's not what that verse said. I've only read half of it. Because this is what the second half of it says. If perhaps God may grant them repentance, leading to the knowledge of the truth, and they may come to their senses and escape from the snare of the devil, having been held captive by him to do his will. How about that? You see the heart of God? That whether you're lost in the world or lost in the church, God wants to win you over. <laughs> that even this moment is about winning you over. Right now, it's about winning you over. And, and while we understand the heart of God, one of the big questions is this, where's your heart? You got to wipe them out heart or win them over heart? I want you to bow your heads with me. And uh, let's decide what we're going to do. Our ministers will be here at the front. Um, 
And when we evaluate, we start with our own lives. And, and again, uh, I don't think fear is a, a, a great motivator. Guilt's not great a motivator. I believe if you're going to follow Jesus, you make that decision and you just follow him. It is a life decision. So here's what I'm asking you. Evaluate your life. I'm not asking you how long you've come to church because the parable tells us you can come to church your whole life and never know Jesus. I'm not asking you what you've done because it's not an issue of what you've done. It's an issue of who you know. And I'm asking you, do you know Jesus? Do you really know him? Evaluate your own life. If you want to talk to someone about that, our ministers are here. They'd love to talk with you about just driving that stake down. Number two, maybe you look at your life and you go, you know what? There's a little bit of God's Gestapo in me. I want to evaluate everybody's life by how much Bible they read, what they do, how often they do it. And I'm going to tell you what it is. Man, if you've got people you love that are lost and you're playing the role of God's Gestapo, they can't stand to be around you. How about trying out that 2 Timothy passage? A little gentleness, a little humility. Dealing patiently with opposing people. That maybe God will set them free. That they'll come to their senses. See the truth and be set free from the snare of the devil. Man, what a great, what a great truth. Maybe there's somebody you love. Maybe it's a kid. And their story's not over. But when you look at it, it just kills you. Let God be God today. And understand we're seeing a small slice of that story. A page out of a book. And God's not finished. Let God be God. Somebody you love, you need to be praying for that you've given up on. And you just got to the place where you just wiped them out of your mind. You're not praying for them anymore. You're not doing anything anymore. And maybe God whispered in your ear today, listen, I'm about to do a work in their life. Don't quit. Don't quit. Don't quit. I'm going to pray. Our ministers are here at the front. This is your opportunity, my opportunity, to do what God has laid on our hearts to do today. Father, thank you so much. God, as this message goes out over uh, online, it's, it's here in the building. God, do your work. God, let us really be followers, true followers of Jesus, in whose name we pray today. Amen. Amen.